Uh, please join me in the responsive reading from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, steadfast love. He will always chide, he will not always chide, nor will he always keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But the steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The New Testament lesson today comes from the 19th chapter of Luke, beginning with the first verse. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And Jesus came to the place, and he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's return to the scripture we read with Greg just a few minutes ago from Luke chapter 19. As we continue our study in the gospel according to Luke. Before we look at this passage, with Jesus and Zacchaeus, let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, all of us together. It's one time during the week when we just, we're not just praying individually or just as a family, but praying as your people at Christ Presbyterian together, a congregation of priests, we bow before you our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for your grace. A grace that, Father, showers blessings on us daily. And we take them so much for granted. Our Father, even on our worst days when we are so apt to complain, we're bathed in your grace. Give us eyes to see on those days. Give us eyes to see and to be thankful even then. We come, Father, as a congregation of priests laying before you our concerns and praying for the world around us. Our Father, we pray this morning for Jim Bennington and Billy Griggs. We pray that you would continue to give them strength, physical strength, along with mental and emotional and and spiritual strength. We pray for Vicki Anderson. Father, we pray that you would use these treatments to bring healing to her. We pray for Sheila Noble, that you would draw her close to yourself. We ask that, Father, you would bring healing to her body. We pray that you would bless and decisions that need to be made with her and her family. We pray this morning for Nick and Jenny Vergos. Father, we pray that and ask that you would bring healing to his body. But draw him close to you. Father, we pray for our marriages. Where there is difficulty. Where there is estrangement between husbands and wives. We pray that, Father, you would bring healing and bring peace. We pray that where there's estrangement between children and parents, that you return the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. Our Father, as we open your word now, that's a fearsome thing. And we know that John Sartell cannot speak so that it will make any difference in our lives. No one that stands behind this desk is able to do that. But you're able to teach us and speak to us as your children in a way that changed us, in a way that's still changing us. We pray that this morning in this sanctuary, in Fayette County, that we would once more hear your voice in our lives and that you would change us, maybe some of us for the first time. We pray when we leave here in a few minutes that we will know we've heard from you. In Jesus' name, amen. The camel got through. I want to begin this morning by taking a a detour from what will be the main message of this well-known scene from the life of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Right at the beginning, 
you just have to think. You just have to love the diversity of the people around Jesus. Just think the last two people that we have encountered in these last two weeks. As Jesus entered Jericho, two men who probably became members of Jesus' church in Jericho after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. We saw last week as Jesus entered Jericho, that last time on his way to Jerusalem, he encountered a blind man who actually believed, this is before Jesus healed him, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus healed him. The man had been blind. He had spent most of his life there begging at the gates of the city. We read that he followed Jesus. A man who had been a beggar at the city gates for years. Have you ever just gone from house to house begging or sat in one place just begging? And then there's Zacchaeus. How different was Zacchaeus? He was not blind. No beggar here. He had never worn rags. He was well-dressed, very wealthy. Yet these two men, the beggar and Zacchaeus, were destined to sit together in the church at Jericho. Over the years, you can see as as people joined the church and, 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 and younger folks came in that never experienced, never saw Jesus physically. And Bartimaeus, that was a blind man name. We learned that from Mark. Bartimaeus would tell them about the day that he encountered Jesus. And Zacchaeus will tell you, you're not going to believe how I met Jesus. I wonder if these two men ate together. I do know this. They came to the Lord's table together. They ate together in that sanctuary. It's so easy. Stop and think of it. It's so easy to bring, and we do this constantly, to bring the barriers that separate us out in the world. To bring them into the sanctuary, into the church. To bring those barriers of money, social status, education, gender, age, race. To bring those into the sanctuary. It's easy to do that. Part of the beauty, Jesus said, you will love each other. And what what makes that statement so strong? is that he's saying, my house, my people will not be a homogeneous people. They will be a very diverse people. People who, like when they're out in the world, they have great barriers between them. Those barriers are going to be broken down. There's going to be blind Bartimaeus and there's going to be Zacchaeus. This morning, Look around you. Nobody in this sanctuary knows everyone here. Just don't. And I said at the beginning of the service, take note, look around, and see who's here that you don't know, and and speak to that person, because we're to represent the hospitality of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. That's what, you see that in this place. The first two members of the church of Jericho are going to be blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, 
in Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector? Really? That's how Jesus is going to build his? Yes. That's what he does. Why not do this? In the next two months, look around this sanctuary. And pick out someone. You can take next week to do it. Two weeks to do it. But pick out someone and say, you know, I'm going to have that person come to my house. They've never been in my house. I'm going to ask them to come to my house. We can call it the, the Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus connection. I don't think that comes from John Sartell. I don't think that's my suggestion. I think that comes from Jesus Christ and his spirit as he mails his people together, being of one mind and one heart and one purpose. That's our detour from the main emphasis of this passage. As different as they were vocationally and economically, they did have one thing in common. Both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus were outcasts in Jericho. Both were social outcasts. One was a blind beggar. The other was a social and religious exile in his own community. Luke loved episodes like this from the life of Jesus. You know, the writers of the other Gospels, Matthew, John, and Mark, did not include the story of Zacchaeus in their record. I'm convinced that they did not include him because they were struggling with their traditional way of thinking that Jesus was shattering. They were still struggling to include the tax collectors, the thieves, the prostitutes, the Gentiles in the Gospel. Luke was the one Gentile writer. And that's why he includes all these people. He alone, Luke alone, you need to note this and think about it. Luke alone recorded Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Luke alone recorded the parable of the good Samaritan. They're not in other gospels. Luke alone recorded Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Those were radical parables. And Zacchaeus was a radical story. Luke loved those two parables and that they stored because they had to do with Jesus and outsiders. And that brings us to our first point. Moral outsiders were strangely drawn to Jesus. Look at Luke. 19, 1 through 3. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He served the government of Rome by taxing his own fellow citizens for the Romans. Now, this was not something they forced upon him. They did not beat him to do this. In fact, he bought the right to be a tax collector. He wanted to be. The Romans assessed each district or city, province, for a certain amount of tax. The tax collector would pay for the right to collect those taxes. It was like buying a franchise. 
at the end of the year, the tax collector was responsible for paying Rome for the assessed amount. Now, there was a basic individual tax, and there was a produce tax, and tax on earnings, and these were set, and there wasn't much wiggle room there. However, there was a second form of taxation and assessment that the tax collectors used, and that was a taxation of duties and tolls. In, in this tax, Zacchaeus could level import tax, toll tax, business fees. He could, he could tax your boat, the fish you had on your boat, and the pier where you docked your boat. Tax collectors were given a great latitude by Rome to do this. A tax collector could force a merchant to unpack his wares, charge him what he desired, taxing those wares. And if the man could not pay the tax, he would offer to loan him the money at an exorbitant rate of interest. So they were loan sharks. Not surprisingly, these tax collectors allied themselves with enforcers, with thugs. They had to, these were the tax collectors. This is why they were hated. Notice that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. The Greek word used there is arch. He was the arch tax collector. He had bought the franchise for the entire district and then sold areas within the district to other tax collectors that worked under him, and they had to pay him. Alfred Edersheim, in his classic work on the Jewish first century culture, noted that the tax collector could not be a member. He could not be a member of a synagogue. In our day, he would have been forbidden by social, by our own social prejudices of being a member of, of the church. So Zacchaeus was not in any synagogue. They looked down on him. They hated him. He was listed as unclean, like an unclean animal, considered to be as the same class of swine. He could not give testimony in a court of law, forbidden to be in a Jewish court. This was Zacchaeus. And yet, what do we read this morning? He wanted to see Jesus. He was attracted to him, and that's our point. Moral outsiders were strangely drawn to Jesus all through the gospel. This is not surprising with Zacchaeus. Jesus had done the unthinkable in Galilee. He had actually called a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, to be one of his inner circle, to be one of the 12 apostles. No rabbi had ever done that in the history of Israel. He'd been known to go to dinner and eat in the homes of tax collectors, with tax collectors and their allies and prostitutes. This is the Jesus of the gospel. He had told parables. We just looked at this two weeks ago. He told, three weeks ago, he told a parable of a tax collector and, and a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee. And at the end of the parable was that the tax collector was accepted, was justified before God, and the Pharisee was not. Look at Luke 15.1 in your scripture sheet, or turn to it in your Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Do you see that? That's where the point comes from. We're just seeing it all over again. Moral outsiders 
were strangely drawn to Jesus. Look at the second verse. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Hmm. Jesus attracted moral outsiders. Charles Turner is a writer who lives in Memphis. He's a friend of mine. He's written several novels with Christian themes. In his own personal life, he had this Jesus characteristic of really attracting outsiders. In the 50s, we, we talked about this. In the 1950s and 60s and 70s, in Bible-believing churches, sermons focused on the great stories of the Old Testament, the stories of Abraham and David, Moses, Samuel, Joshua. In the New Testament, in those same churches, the tendency was to preach Romans and Ephesians and other letters written by the apostles. Oh, they preached in the Gospels, but it was always a gospel appeal. It was always about the cross and the need of salvation. There was an avoidance of going line by line by line through the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus. One day, I asked, I asked Charles Turner about this. I said, why was that inside the church? He said, John, that's so easy. They were afraid of Jesus' life. They were afraid of what he did and what he would do with them. They could not fit him in to their little places in their lives that they had built for him. He said he spoke of good Samaritans. He spoke of throwing parties for prodigals. And they didn't like it in the first century and they don't like it today. I think he hit a nail on the head. Moral outsiders were strangely drawn to Jesus. Secondly, just underline it. Jesus searched out these moral outsiders. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Jesus knew his name. He knew where he was. He came to that place like, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going home with you. The father planned for me to be at your house today, Zacchaeus. The word there is day. I must stay. It is necessary that I stay. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have a place to go or a place to stay. No. This he was saying, I have a divine appointment with you. In other words, Jesus had Zacchaeus' name in his iPhone. It was not only that he attracted moral outsiders, that they were strangely drawn to them. He searched them out. He looked for them. He knew where he was. He had an appointment. Just in case we miss that, look at verse 10. The son of man, you want to know about my day with Zacchaeus, why that was, what was it about? The son of man came to seek what was lost. That was the reason for the encounter. Jesus was grace driven. That's why he was searching for the moral outsider. In fact, the whole ministry. Why didn't? What was wrong with Jesus and the Pharisees? 
They were not moral outsiders. They were self-righteous. We'll come back to that. Notice the contrast that you find in Luke 19.7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a... I've gone off of that tax collector. They were the grace grumblers. They would not seek out Zacchaeus. In fact, it was just the opposite. If they saw Zacchaeus come down, they would cross over because if they accidentally touched him, they would have to go home and wash ceremoniously because he was unclean. They would never, ever be seen talking to him, even saying hello to him. They would never greet him. They would never look him in the eye. They were morally superior. Compare that. And Jesus is actually looking for him. Looking for him. Where are you, Zacchaeus? The grace grumblers, their Messiah was too morally superior to be with the the likes of Zacchaeus. Why? Because they were too morally superior. Moral outsiders were strangely drawn to Jesus. Jesus searched out these moral outsiders. Thirdly, moral outsiders don't worry about retaining their dignity. Look at verse 3. And he was seeking to seek who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was about to pass that way. What would you think if they were having a parade in Somerville and you were, there's a large crowd there, and you looked up into a tree there on the square, and there sat Bill Wright. I mean, you would laugh. What in the world, Bill? This is really funny. Here was this ostracized, hated, exiled in his own city, but extremely wealthy, very short man. The crowds were huge. There was no way to see Jesus because they would never push Zacchaeus to the front. They wouldn't even touch him. So he did what kids do. He climbed a tree. Kent Hughes said that if this were a movie and he was the director, he would have cast Danny DeVito. As Zacchaeus. That's perfect. That is perfect. When I read that, I laughed. Can't you just see DeVito, a hated thief, push aside, eyes darting back and forth, determined? He'd climb the tree. Think about that moment. Zacchaeus, I know you're a tax collector. I don't like you. But don't you have any dignity? You're the richest man in Jericho. Look at you, dressed in that Brooks Brothers suit in a tree. Come on. You'll be the brunt of jokes told at the dinner table tonight. But Zacchaeus was willing to play the fool. He was willing to lose his dignity to see Jesus. People, that's a, that ought to pierce us right there. You're in high school. You're in high school and you're cool. You've got your dignity. You're cool. You willing to lose that dignity? To stand with Jesus? Don't kid yourself. 
Don't kid yourself. We live in a secular culture, even in Fayette County. You're in college. You willing to lose your dignity? Stand with Jesus? All of us are faced with this. It's not just about teenagers and about being cool. All of us want to be cool where we are. Want to be accepted. This was the problem with the Pharisees. Think about it. They wouldn't lose their dignity. Their dignity of self-right will not do that. Will not climb into the tree of dependence on grace. We're not climbing to that tree. We're, we're, we're righteous. We don't need that. Look at what, what Jesus said in the ninth verse. And Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. That, that was an angry, in-your-face statement to the Pharisees, to the grumblers. The ones that would not have been called dead in that house. Jesus said to this house salvation has come. And he added because he's a son of Abraham. This was an insult of insult. The tax collector, a son of Abraham, that can't possibly be. This is the same Jesus in Matthew 21, 31, about the same time, that said to a group of Pharisees, he looked at him and he said, the tax collectors and thieves and prostitutes are coming into the kingdom of God ahead of you. They're coming before you. Because why? Because they at least knew they were outsiders. They knew they were sinners. That's what Jesus was saying here. The tax collector is more a son of Abraham than you. You see, we're all outsiders. I'm not speaking to you and saying, oh, we're insiders today. We be, better be sure to... We're not insiders. How do you think heaven looks at us today? How do you think the glory of heaven and the seraphim, the great creatures of heaven, and God himself and all of his holiness... We're a planet of outsiders. We're, a, we're outside of heaven. We're outside of heaven morally. We're outside of heaven spiritually. We're lost. That was the whole point of the incarnation. Jesus coming to seek and to save a planet of lost people. Would you lose your dignity for Jesus? Would you... Becoming outside, would you would you go outside and say, I, I'm I really am an outsider? One of my favorite passages in all the New Testament is Hebrews 13. And it ought to become with you. You ought to circle it in your Bible, mark it on your scripture sheet, go home and mark it in your Bible, especially the 13th verse. But let's look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the reproach he endured. When Israel was in the wilderness, parts of the bodies of the animals that were sacrificed, the parts that were not burned, were carried outside the camp. The camp and the tabernacle were clean. The wilderness was unclean. They were taken out in the wilderness. In Jerusalem, the parts of those animals that were ordered, that were, were burned to sacrifice, that were, were not burned, but taken out. They were unclean. And they just weren't taken out of the temple. They were taken out of Jerusalem. They were taken to the city dump. The writer of Hebrews sees that imagery and said, Jesus was not crucified in the temple. He was not crucified. He was crucified not in Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the gate, outside the camp. And then he adds, therefore, you're going to follow Jesus? You want to go to the cross? Let's go outside the camp and bear the reproach that he bore. Would you lose your self-righteous dignity for Jesus? Because you won't, you won't be saved. Moral outsiders were strangely drawn to Jesus. Jesus searched out those moral outsiders. Moral outsiders don't worry about retaining their dignity. Fourthly, and we're done. An extreme transformation. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded any one of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. He gave away half of his portfolio. This man was wealthy. He gave half, half of it away. He promised to pay restitution to the people he had cheated, and he certainly had cheated. Whatever he'd extorted, he would repay four times over. The old Zacchaeus had been marked by greed. The new Zacchaeus would be known for generosity. Imagine someone today that you know that's just so greedy. Just, they, they're just, it's all about greed. Imagine that person becoming the most generous person that you've ever known. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Remember, and remember the last wealthy man Jesus encountered in our study of Luke? It was just three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how can I be saved? And Jesus ended up saying, give all of it away. Give it to the poor. And you come and follow me. And the man walked away very sad. What did Jesus say? Look on your scripture sheet. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I laid out a pen to bring a, a needle, and I, and I didn't pick it up. I forgot it. I was going to hold it up and say, this is the eye of the needle right here. He said, it's easier for a camel, a big camel, to go through that eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to be saved. C.S. Listen to this. This is so good. C.S. Lewis commenting on Zacchaeus being despised by his fellow countrymen, by his by all the people in Jericho. He was despised. He was hated. And C.S. Lewis said in only the way that he could say it. He said, the whole city of Jericho would have liked to have seen Zacchaeus squeezed out through the eye of the needle in one long bloody thread from pale to snout. 
It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a nail than for a wealthy man to be saved. People. The camel came through the eye of the needle. Zacchaeus was saved. But there was an extreme transformation. The camel that passes through that eye of the needle is not going to be the same camel after he comes through. And the man that comes through that cross, the man that comes through being reborn, that man that comes through the word of the God, man, woman, boy or girl, going to be changed. The camel got through. But the camel cannot get through the eye of the needle and remain the same. Our hymn is Spirit of the Living God. It's just one verse. We're going to sing it twice. We're not going to sing that second verse. Uh, it's just the first verse, and it's a prayer. And I'm going to ask that we just remain seated as we sing this and make it your prayer after this message before the Father.